if you want to get healthy, one of the best things you can do is pretty much eat whatever you want. Oh yeah, that's what I said. You heard me right. I'm going to tell you more about that on today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, usually starting feet first, but now we're going to kind of go gut first on this one. Because you know, feet, they are your foundation. If you want to walk or run or play or hike or do CrossFit or yoga, whatever it is, we're going to tell you about the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the outright lies you've heard about what it takes to do that. I'm Stephen Sashin, CEO of ZeroShoes.com, your host of the Movement movement podcast. We call it that because we are creating a movement that involves you. And I'll tell you how, about how you do that in a second about natural movement. We're helping people rediscover that natural movement, doing what your body is built to do is the better, obvious and healthy choice. Pretty much the same way we think about natural food and the movement part that involves you. That's just sharing the information you get here. Or if you grab a pair of zero shoes and experience what it's like to have natural movement, not rocket science, doesn't cost you anything. It's easy. All you have to do again, spread the word. You can go to www join the movement movement.com. You'll find all the previous episodes, all the places you can download the podcast, all the ways you can interact with us on YouTube and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. In short, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. So let's jump in and talk about eating whatever you want with Pam Moore. Pam, it is a pleasure to have you here. Um, why don't you tell people who the hell you are and what you're doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Stephen. It's so much fun to be here. Um, let's see. I am a occupational therapist turned freelance writer. I do health and fitness writing for many outlets, including the Washington Post, Runner's World, Outside Time, The Guardian, Self, Women's Running. And let's see, I'm also a endurance athlete. I'm a six-time marathoner, two-time Ironman finisher, certified personal trainer. And what else? I have two children. I'm married. I live in Boulder and been teaching into recycling for a very long time. I don't necessarily want to say how long. <laughs> and I'm a weight neutral health coach and wait, I have a wait, podcast. Wait, oh, yeah. A weight neutral health coach. Let's pause there. Um, yeah. So I can guess what that may mean, but I want to hear you explain it because I love the idea. I just like the phrase. Sure. I'm here to help people develop more healthy habits and be happier in where their movement routine looks like without a goal of weight loss. You know, should that happen because you change your habits and you're happy with that? That's great. But that would not be the goal. If you came to me and you said, I'm here to lose 20 pounds before my wedding, I would say, I don't think I'm necessarily the right trainer for you. Or I might say, Hey, can we dig into that? Like, what's that really about? Because then we can talk all about how I got to that because I yeah, wouldn't yeah. have said that years ago. Yeah. And I also have my own podcast. It's called the real fit podcast and it features real conversations with women athletes about body image, confidence, and more. And overall, I mean, it's like, I wear a lot of hats, but my overall mission is to help people have more fun with movement and to tell women in particular that you are already enough. Doesn't matter how much you weigh, doesn't matter how fast you are, how strong you are, like what you are is enough, period, now. I love it. I'm very curious to hear more about weight neutral health coaching, especially given the setup that I said, which came from you, which is if you want to be healthy, uh, eat whatever you want. And I have to preface this by letting you know, I was hanging out with a whole bunch of healers of different kinds at some event one day, and they're all talking about the different diets they're on. And finally, I think we, there was a little pause in the conversation. I said, uh, yeah, I'm on the, I don't know when I'm going to get hit by a bus diet. 
and they all look at me. There's another long pause. They went, oh, that sounds good. I went, yeah, it's just way better than uh, anything else I could think of. Now, I mean, yeah. that said, I'm not prone to doing something like sitting down with a pint and Ben and Jerry's of a with a pint of Ben and Jerry's and eating the whole thing. In fact, I think I have a pint of Ben and Jerry's that I took two spoonfuls out of, and it's been sitting in my freezer for five years because I just haven't had hey. the urge for the flavor. And that's like perfectly, and by the way, I want to make a caveat. If you have diabetes, if you have like a seizure disorder that you're treating oh with like a ketogenic, you know, there are medical conditions where no, like I'm not a doctor. Don't take my advice. I'm not, and I'm not a dietitian. but I think one of the reasons why you don't feel compelled to eat the whole pint where most people will be like, oh, I can't, or many people I should say, wouldn't even would say, I can't even have that in the house. I'll eat the whole thing. We are inclined to eat the whole thing because we have rules in our head. It's like you tell a child, don't push that button. Um, what do they want to do? They only want to push the button. We're not that far off from those little child brains that want what we know isn't good for us. The truth is, you know, and I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I pretty much eat what I want. And that doesn't mean that I eat, you know, 12 donuts a day and macaroni and cheese every night. I have gotten to a place where I trust my body to know what's going to nourish it. And I do eat my vegetables and I don't, I'm not rigid anymore about what's good and what's bad. And I don't, and I don't binge anymore. You reminded me of a story and I'm very curious to hear your take on it. I'm taking a walk with a friend of mine. Actually, I, I got to make a note about something that you mentioned that I've got to bring up. Hold on. Hold on. Go ahead. Go ahead. The beauty wow. of editing. No, I'm not going to edit. I'm just making it. Oh, you don't edit? This is all. So wait, so if I sound dumb, you're just going to leave it? (laughs) Absolutely. Because I trust that it's not going to happen. And if I sound dumb, I have no problem with that. It happens sometimes. My my fantasy actually is to do a podcast where the only thing that people respond uh, with is by telling me I have my head completely up my butt. I think that would be really entertaining. Um, Hasn't happened yet, unfortunately. So, and now people might just do it for the hell of it. But anyway, here's the story. And I want to hear your comment. So I'm taking a walk um, around Wonderland Lake and Boulder with a female friend of mine who says, I'm just trying to listen to my body so I you know, know what to eat. And I literally fell to the ground laughing. And she says, what? I said, well, I know what your body wants to eat. French fries, donuts, and ice cream. It wants calories that are going to sustain you. It wants fat and sugar. That's what we're wired to, to respond to. But what you're actually saying is you're saying that you have this idea you can do a thing called listening to your body, which means you're gonna it's gonna tell you that you want some particular food that if you eat it is gonna change your body in some way so that when it changes, you'll eventually be happy. And I used to think like that, but I can't find that thought anymore. And the especially that last part, like once you get to whatever that body shape or size or style or color or whatever you're thinking is going to change, then you'll be happy. That's the part that's the real problem in my brain. But the first part is, again, I, you know, I know what I want to eat. It's mostly chocolate cake. In fact, I, I said I said to my wife, uh, if I'm ever diagnosed with a terminal disease, I want you to know I'm going to go on the all chocolate cake and Thai hooker diet. And she says, I don't want you going to Thailand and coming back with some disease. I said, I'm not going to come back. I'm just going over there. <laughs> I said, Look, I'm, doing it, I'm doing it for you because, you know, you'll be too distraught to take care of my sexual needs if I have a terminal disease. So <laughs> You are a gem. You, you are like a real fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I say these things um, mostly in jest, but you know the chocolate cake part, absolutely true. The Thai hooker part, probably not true. And anyway, so yeah. But I'm I'm so curious to hear what your response is to the uh, I'm listening to my body to know what to eat to change my body into something that will eventually make me happy. 
Well, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there There for one thing. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is something called intuitive eating, which is based on research and it's, uh, there's a book called intuitive eating and it's by, um, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, I believe. Um, there are two dietitians who wrote it in the nineties. It was groundbreaking at the time. I'm kind of sad that I think it is still kind of groundbreaking because, and, and one of the, there's like 10 basic principles. And one of them is you have to let go of the interest or the motivation to get smaller. You can't Mm. do intuitive eating if you secretly, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously are hoping that it will make you thinner. It won't work if if you do it that way. Okay. It's not a diet. It's not even let's eat moderately. It is literally going back to getting in touch with the signals that we all had when we were children back and everybody thought that like our chubby thighs and our pot bellies were like super cute. And we weren't aware, you know, you are aware, but I think even the age of like four, they say you're aware that thinner is considered more beautiful in our culture, but we have these innate drives to know what we want. Like if you've ever seen a baby or a toddler eat, they'll eat some of one thing and they'll eat some of other thing and they'll throw something on the floor and they stop when they're done and they will not eat more when they're done. You can't make them. Right. Whereas, you know, I, when I was, um, I want to say younger, but I wasn't that much younger, even like five years ago, I would eat past the point of being full Yeah. because, because I felt like, well, I was good all week. You know, I ate salads all week and now I'm like presented with dessert at a nice restaurant. I really like this dessert. I'm eating it or I'm on vacation. I'm in vacation mode, man. Who cares if like, I am so uncomfortably full or, you know, Thanksgiving, it's like, oh my God, today's the day I'm going to gorge today and tomorrow I'll be good. And it's like, I can tell you honestly, since I've adopted intuitive eating, Um, yeah, once in a while I overeat, it's not the way I used to like, so uncomfortably full. And I, I don't beat myself up about it. I'm just like, you know what? I ate a little too much. Okay. Moving on. Um, and I'm not nearly as inclined to feel like I have to have dessert just because it's in front of me or just because my family, like my family might go out to ice cream and once in a while I might say, you know, I'm not in the mood, not going to have it. I never used to do that. It's so interesting. I, um, cause what you're describing in a way is getting over, I'm going to call it the derivative thought. And the derivative thought goes like this. The first thought is, Hey, I'm going to eat a whole bunch. That's the first thought. The derivative thought is now all the thinking about how bad I feel because I did the thing. And so the, it's sort of like, um, this is going to be a weird analogy. It's kind of like when we're procrastinating, the thing that's more stressful is is the complaining in our mind about procrastinating more than the actual procrastinating. Or if we're, um, if we haven't uh, put, if we're not balancing our checkbook, it's like, it's more stressful to think about how we haven't balanced the checkbook than to find out the reality of what happens when we balance the checkbook. So there's a derivative thought in what you're describing that you just don't have of the kind of, Oh, that was good. Oh, that was bad. Oh, I should. Oh, I shouldn't. Yeah. Um, Food is not good or bad. Food is not a moral thing. It's not a moral obligation to be quote unquote healthy. And I would argue, I want to actually challenge you. You said the first thought, what did you say? The first thought was, uh, I don't remember Um, something about the food, the food, this is a good food or this is a bad food. So much. This is a good food or bad food. Like what I just ate is good or bad. That's Um, right. That's right. No good or bad food, but like I ate too much or, you know, because I have a similar thing where every now and then I go, I know I'm definitely going to gorge myself today. And I love that. I mean, it's just like, 
I'm very aware that I'm going to do it because this is food that I adore. Like we used to go to this one um, Chinese buffet down in Broomfield that had like six things that were so good and so ridiculously hypercaloric, but it's like, we're going to go do that. It's going to be a blast. Well, and that's okay. Food should be joyous. Food is a time. It's pleasure. It's lovely. It's time to be social. It's there's so much cultural stuff around food and we shouldn't, it's just so sad to me that we can ruin. I've ruined so many uh, date nights and birthday parties and things just stressing about food. But I want to go back to that first thought because okay. I think the first thought isn't about the food. The first thought is actually thinner is a better, right. B more lovable, C more healthy. We have all these misconceptions about what it means to be thin in our culture. Mm. And the truth is the real truth is I was just reading this research that um, they say about 70% of what you weigh is genetically determined. It's right. almost as dependent on your genetics as height is. And you right. don't see people walking. You might see the odd person who's like, oh, I gained a quarter of an inch from doing Pilates, right? But that's not typical. You don't see people like sitting around like, oh my God, I'm so bad. I'm five feet tall and I'm five feet tall. You know, I'm just like, yeah, five feet tall. That is what it is. But like, it, we have, we are so conditioned to think, and I would even say, the first thought isn't necessarily thin is better, but even before that, it's I'm not enough. It's and so it. yeah, I would say not, it's not even not as much enough as not right. Like the way I am mm-hmm. now, there's something wrong with the way I am now. And by the way, I got to tell you on the height thing. So um, I do have a variation on that because I used to be five six, but my I have a broken spine. I've lost a disc, so now I'm you know like five four and change. And I'll tell you the thing that's so funny about height is if you read um, any article about human beings. If somebody's short, they always mention that they're short and they mention it like it's the reason that they're behaving in certain ways. If somebody's tall, doesn't get mentioned at all. So there's this very entertaining thing about height that happens as well. I'm typically oblivious to it. Last night, though, I was hanging out with a whole bunch of people who are all like six five. And all I could think is if the world exploded right now and they only found our skeletons, they would assume these were two totally different species. I mean, we're just not in the same universe. It was it was totally hysterical. Um, but yeah, that not the not right thing. And backing up to your point about how where we are even at the age of four, this is definitely not four. This is maybe when I was eight or nine. I have a vivid memory of walking down the hallway in elementary school and like pretending that I had muscles to flex. So it's the oh. opposite for guys. It's like yeah, you know, bigger in some way. And yeah. uh, and I remember even at the time, kind of thinking this is a little weird, but I'm still I'm going to kind of try and see if I can do it. But here's the question that I wrote down a note to, given everything you just said, I mean, Boulder is a place that is hyper, hyper something when it comes to bodies supposed to look a certain way and bodies that look unusual, uh, unusually fit compared to the rest of the planet. So what's it like having this perspective living in this crazy ass town? It's freeing. I will say that (laughs) it's really freeing. I'm so much happier. Like, (laughs) Uh, I think it would be, I'd be happier in any city, but yeah, I'm a lot happier because I, I think I fell prey to like, you know, the comparison trap. You look at all the other moms and all the other women, you know, whether at the gym or at the school pickup and you're like, damn, like, I want to look like that. Like now I'm just like, fuck it. I look like how I look. They look how they look. I don't know what they, they, whatever they want, whatever it's their life. And I will also say 
it can be isolating because mm. I don't participate in those conversations. When my friends start talking about like this right after I sort of adopted my new mindset and I was really feeling like this is good for me. I remember going out to dinner with a couple friends and they were talking about intermittent fasting. And I was, you know, I'm not here to evangelize the way I do things. If someone like you're asking me about it and I'm telling you, but I'm not going to, if someone doesn't want to hear it or isn't ready to hear it or is not interested, it's not useful. So anyways, I just got up and went to, I was like, you know what? I had to pee this whole time. And this is the part of the conversation that I am not going to be missing. So I was just like, I'm going to go to the ladies room. And when I got back, sure enough, they were done talking about intermittent fasting. So I, (laughs) I tried to tune it out. I tried, I don't, I try really hard not to try to impose my way of thinking on other people, but, um, it can be hard. And I also, sometimes I'll be honest, sometimes I'm a little smug. I laugh at, in my mind, I laugh at certain yeah. people I know, for example, who they'll be doing like a cleanse, like what I think of as a very restrictive cleanse. They claim it's for health. I think it's for weight loss. And then we're sitting around and we're, they're like drinking so many margaritas. And I'm like, do you know that alcohol <laughs> is a neurotoxin? What the hell kind of cleanse is this? <laughs> like, I love that. I mean, my favorite thing about everyone's diet, um, especially if they are trying to diet for weight loss, I go, this is really simple. The research is very clear. It's been unequivocal for well over 50 years, calories in, calories out. It's all about what you can, what works for you to handle calories in, calories out. If you're trying to lose weight, everything else is Yes and no. Yes and no. There's also hormones in play. There's hormones, there's stress. There's a lot of things in play. Plus there's genetics. Well, yes, all, some, yeah. it, even with all of that, I mean, not saying, I'm not saying that you can become any shape that you want, but in terms of okay. energy balance, energy balance, I mean, it's thermodynamics. You really can't violate the laws of physics as much as we think we can. There are things that affect that, but you can't violate the fundamental laws of physics. But yes, again, and if you're like, chronically hungry, if you're chronically hungry, right. it's not sustainable. It's not going to work. It's, it's all about And if you're not it. meant to be 20 pounds lighter, you're just not going to. Yeah. And so like, like, as you were saying, like, like we know, number one, we know that 98% of people who go on diets do not maintain the weight loss. Right. And then, and we, you know, there's this multi-billion dollar industry telling us it's not the diet that failed. You failed. You weren't disciplined enough, number one. And number two, we know science has shown that weight cycling, as in losing a significant amount of weight and then gaining it back, that's bad for your long-term health. That's bad for your metabolism. That contributes to diabetes. That contributes to cardiovascular disease. Like that's not good. And, and weight stigma, going to the doctor and being told you need to lose weight. There's a direct correlation between people who feel shamed by their doctor and people who then don't actually want to see their doctor when they really need to for health reasons. Oh, that's interesting. It reminds me, um, I have genetically high cholesterol. And so at one point I went to my doctor and they said, your cholesterol is high. You should stop eating uh, meat. I said, I haven't eaten any red meat or uh, any, anything other than some fish since 1980, because I don't like it. I have a genetic thing where I don't taste savory flavors. So I don't eat meat because it just tastes like metallic mush to me. So I said, yeah, oh. I, yeah, I know. So I said, so I don't do that. They said, well, you know, she, you should maybe get a little more exercise. I said, I'm a nationally ranked sprinter. <laughs> and they're like, oh, then, uh... <laughs> and that was all yeah. bad. So yeah, they just, they don't get to know you. They don't understand you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sucks. I'm really curious about a lot of things. One is, um, first of all, what's so interesting about what you're talking about with intuitive eating is that it violates the number one thing that people use to sell diet books and that people believe more, more often than not, which is there's a diet that works for everybody. 
There's a way of eating that works for everybody. And that blows me away. I said to a bunch of paleo guys at the first paleo conference, I said, you guys have this idea that this is the way everyone should eat. And it's very high in meat, which I don't eat. But besides, I mean, you know, it sounds silly that everyone should have the same thing. Why would I, as a master's all-American sprinter, eat the same thing as some Kenyan distance runner? I mean, I said, look, I'm a genetic freak. And the guy says, what do you mean? I said, oh, for men over at that time, I was 46. For men over 45, I'm one of the fastest Jews in the world. <laughs> and he's like, amazing. Huh. Yeah. So, you know, and I said, I don't know one sprinter who isn't on a high carb diet. I've never met a sprinter who's paleo or keto or any of those things. Sprinters tend to be on high carb diets, power athletes. That's the way we tend to be wired. So that one diet fits all thing is a problem. Um, but anyway, that's just, you know, my little tirade. I really want to hear about a, your transition and what it was like making this move into intuitive eating, both practically and just psychologically. And as you work with people, what you see with them, because I know anyone listening, some people are going to be thinking, yeah, that's not going to work for me. I tried that and I gained 500 pounds or whatever thoughts they have. So let's kind of break that down frame by frame so people can yeah. know what the process might be like. Yeah. But really quick, I really appreciate what you said about how there's no one size fits all diet for everybody. And I think it's not just diets. And I'm sure you know this as an entrepreneur, there's always going to be somebody out there selling you something. It's like a five-step magic bullet, going to make more money, get more clients, sell more stuff, lose more weight. You want to hear my fantasy? My fantasy yeah. is that we that someday Lane and I make enough money from uh, with zero shoes that I can walk into a bookstore and buy every book that's one of those quick fixes for whatever, for yep. business success or whatever. And then I buy every one of them and I take them out into the parking lot and burn them. I love it. Can I be part of that? <laughs> really, I am so sick of this, like preying on people's vulnerabilities, not yeah. just in their appearance, but in all there is, if, if anybody is listening and they only have like 10 seconds to listen, Wait, I, here's what on. I want I, them to I know. Is, I resent that if anybody is listening thing. So, but, 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 more. <laughs> but you know, what it is, it really is just preying on a fundamental human psychological thing. We evolved to do this. We evolved to imagine the thing that we need to be happy in the future and then try to look for some retroactive path to getting there. The problem is we're really bad at it and it doesn't work, but our brains are wired to continue to do this because in simpler times, you could reliably do that. You could figure out you know, how the rain affected the growth of something and how that led to, you know, I mean, there was cause and effect that was much, much simpler. Now we're talking about things that for which there is no simple cause and effect. There is but, no, there is you, no, you have to find your own way. And actually that's a great segue into your actual question, okay. which was, how did I find this? Because for me, a lot of it was not just, what do I want to eat? It was also, wait a minute, who even am I? And what do I want all around? Not just food, but yeah, backing up. I don't really remember a time when I didn't think that it would be nice to be a little bit thinner. Um, I've never struggled with my weight. Like I'm not you know, quote unquote, I don't like even using the word overweight, because that implies that there's like a right way to be. But um, for lack of a better word, never been really overweight. Um, I had a phase in college where there was like a lot of gear and like late night pizza. But uh, overall, I've been, you know, never had a doctor saying you should lose weight or anything like that. But always just feeling like, ooh, what if I could just take off like five pounds, you know? Um, and always kind of micromanaging my food. Like I just, when I was training for my first marathon, when I was like 
21, I distinctly remember, you know, the internet wasn't what it was. I wasn't really like, I don't know. I wasn't Googling like, what should you eat after a long run? I remember limiting the amount of like even Gatorade I would drink during an 18 mile run and then waiting as long as I possibly could until I was like starving to have my bagel, which I allowed myself a bagel once a week as a huge treat, but only after a long run. And then I wondered why I was sore for three days and couldn't do a run again until like Wednesday. I'd be like on the elliptical Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. I'd be like, I guess I can run. And I, I had no idea. I just didn't know. So that, but that I really remember like just obsessing about, I remember like getting way too drunk when I was in my twenties because I thought alcohol has so many calories. So I'm going to make up for it, but not eating a big dinner, which is just terrible, terrible thing to do. Okay. So uh, fast forward and I tried all these different diets, but didn't admit to myself that they were in fact diets. In my mind, I tricked myself into thinking these are for health. Like for example, the zone diet is pretty restrictive. I will say the zone diet gave me an understanding of how protein can make you feel full for longer. It's a great way to just make your meals go farther. I did learn that, but it made me crazy. Um, So I was kind of on and off the zone for a while. Then I'd be like making these random rules like, like, oh, for example, if I knew I was having pizza for dinner, like there's no way I would be having a slice of bread with my soup at lunch, you know, too many carbs, you know, even eating a whole banana, they tell you bananas have so many carbs. I was like scared to eat an entire banana. And by the way, soup is just pizza deconstructed. I like that. I like that. (laughs) I I think fundamentally, almost everything is pizza, some kind of bread, some kind of something saucy, something, some kind of cheesy or something topping like a burrito is pizza rolled up French toe. No, a grilled cheese is, you know, pizza, depending on how you do it, maybe without the sauce. I mean, like almost everything is pizza. If you really boil it down. Everything is pizza. You could do a whole podcast on like things that actually are pizza. I want to do that as a book. Everything is pizza and just, you know, all the variations of pizza. I love it. Okay. So yeah, speaking of pizza, I do love pizza. That was like a, you know, scary food or whatever. And then let's see, I got into, so I like a background as like, you know, an endurance athlete, but then I got into CrossFit and I think CrossFit is great. I'm not like anti-CrossFit really, but just as a byproduct of getting into that culture, I started following CrossFit accounts on social media. And a lot of people who do CrossFit also count macros. Um, And they also, uh, these people that want to sell you these macro counting programs, they're posting a lot of like before and after photos on Instagram. And that was very enticing to me. I was like, you know what? I I had this warped idea from partly living in Boulder, partly being on Instagram, partly like, you know, surrounding myself with these very fit people going, fitness has to look a certain way. It has to be ripped abs, sculpted arms. I'm very fit. Why don't I look like that? Like I thought I should look like that. That's the way to look. How do I get that look? Oh, okay. I count macros. So I was using this macro counting app. And for the first like eight weeks, it was like heavenly. I was like, wow, I'm eating all this food and I'm like getting so much more lean. This feels amazing. But it was like a prison because counting macros is, it's like a Tetris game. Like at the end of the day, I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to eat like a Baybell cheese and a spoonful of mayonnaise. Like it's like eating like the weirdest things to get in your. Um, by, by the way, macros. 
The phrase, the concept eating a spoonful of mayonnaise to me is like saying, poke your eyes out with knitting needles. There's no food I like less in the world than mayonnaise other yeah. than egg yolks, uh, which is, you know. Oh, I hate egg yolks. Well, I like I like them cooked. I don't like them. Well, I yes. don't like them hard boiled. I like scrambled, them. Yeah, scrambled otherwise. eggs is okay. Any other form of egg yolk. Again, egg yolks and then mayonnaise. My wife apparently makes great deviled eggs. Whenever she has to make them, I leave the house. <laughs> oh, wow. You hate them. Okay. So yeah. So I'm like doing this macro counting thing. I'm making myself crazy. I'm measuring my food. I'm weighing my food. If we're like planning to go to Dairy Queen, I'm like, Ooh, Dairy Queen is good because all the nutrition stats are online and I can like modify my dinner to make sure that I don't overdo my carbs and my fat. And we can like go to Dairy Queen as a family and it will be so carefree. And it's absolutely not carefree. So I'm in this mental prison and this started, I want to say I was like 38, 39. And it was right before I'm now for context, I'm about to be 43, right before my 40th birthday. It was like the week before I had been quote unquote good about counting my macros. And then I'm like getting really hungry really, really hungry. Cause I had gone to like a new level of, and I was like levels of the plan and I'm on my computer with this little chat bot thing. And I'm like, I'm really hungry. What should I do? And it's like not responding. And I'm like feeling crazier and crazier. And then it's like, well, are you eating a lot of fiber? And I'm like, fiber is all I fucking eat. Like, cause it's low calorie, you know, I'm eating cabbage. I've been eating. You know? And then I just had this like moment of clarity where I was like, I'm about to turn 40 and I'm asking um, a chat bot that I don't even know is, if it's a human. I don't know what it is. It might be like, who knows what it is. And I'm asking it what to eat. This makes no sense. So it started as like, I was just like, fuck this for a week. I'm not doing macros and I need a break. And then it turned into like a lifetime because over that, the next few days, it was, I just had this, it was almost like a light switch. It was like this thing I've been doing, asking um, sources outside of myself, what I should eat is uh, sucking the life out of me. It's getting me out of touch with what I know that I need. Cause the thing is we do know what we need, but we don't listen. Mm. So I let that all go. And I started reading, like I, I read the intuitive eating book. I read the fuck it diet by Carolyn Dooner, Caroline Dooner. I think I got into, I found this whole corner of the internet. That's all like hashtag health at every size hashtag, um, ditch diet culture, stuff like that. Um, just started learning more about how insidious diet culture is and how we've all been brainwashed. And, um, the, so the, right before my birthday, I had this sort of come to Jesus, um, which I'm also Jewish, so I don't even know, uh, but <laughs> oh, hey, <laughs> come was, to Jesus. And, hmm? I said, so was Jesus. Yeah, that's right. And I, because <laughs> it was my birthday, we, had our kids stay at their grandparents and my husband and I went to Austin for a long weekend, just the two of us. And it was like the best vacation of my life because it was the first time that instead of being in this mental quote unquote vacation mode, I was just on vacation. And I just sort of said to myself, you know what you're going to eat? Like, instead of stressing, like you always do on vacations, you're going to order what you want. You're going to eat what you want. You're going to stop eating when you feel full. And then you can start eating again when you feel hungry. And it's that simple. And like, I knew that everything kind of had changed for me because on the last day of the trip, um, well, actually we went for sushi one night. Um, this really nice, like multi-course. Oh my God. It was so nice. And after my husband was still hungry and he got like late night pizza and I normally would have partook, but I was like, I, I'll have a bite. I'm not into that. You eat that. And then the next day, right before we were leaving, he was like, I got to try this ice cream place that everyone's saying is so good. And I was like, you know what? Have it. I'll have a bite. I don't want it. And then in the airport, there was this amazing looking cookie. And I looked at it a few times, but I, but I said to myself, and this is what I do when I get a little bit in a funk, I say, 
you have full permission to eat whatever you want. Like you want a hundred of those, whatever it is, you could eat a hundred of those. It would be okay. And when I imagine the full permission to eat like a hundred of whatever it is, it helps me get in touch with like, well, okay, do I really want one? And I remember like not eating that cookie. Cause I was like, you know what? It looks like a good cookie, but when we get home, if I need something, I live in a foodie town. I can get another really good cookie. It'll be fine. You just made me think of something that I had never put together in my brain before. And that is, again, I tend to do very much what you just described, but there are certain foods or certain times where with like the cookie, this I'm still putting this together in my brain, even as I say it, it's hard for me to eat the amount of the cookie that I really want because I feel bad throwing away half of a cookie if I just paid two bucks for a cookie. And it's not like I can't afford it, but, um, and I, since I've literally never had this thought before, I mean, it's been in the back of my brain, but I've never articulated it in my own brain, let alone to another human being. I'm really going to have to pay attention to that one. It's making me, I'm getting a little, literally, I'm getting a little warm with the sort of realization that something, this is a big thing for me. Um, I, I, um, I remember, like, I don't like eating the, this is so funny because the flip side of that is I don't like eating the last thing in a refrigerator if I know other people might want it. So, and that's like the opposite of throwing it away in some strange way, but I'm going to have to play with buying something where I know I only want half of it and throwing away the other half because I just bought it for half, you know, for twice the price. I mean, the reality is that $2 cookie, it's actually a $2 half a cookie. And if I'm okay with that, then I'm going to buy the $2 half a cookie. And um, I've never, I've never really thought about it. And I'm, I wish I could explain how excited I am in this moment, (laughs) thinking about unwinding that because I just realized that's part of why I sometimes eat certain things more than I normally would want, because I don't like the idea of money. I, a, I think that's really powerful. I don't think you're alone. I doubt it. Follow a non-diet dietitian on Instagram, uh, Rachel Goodman. I think her handle is like good nutrition or something. And she had this great graphic of on one side, she's like, um, I can't even remember, but her whole point was it's not wasting food. If you throw away the extra chicken nugget, your kid didn't want, or throwing away the half a cookie that you just weren't hungry for. She said, it that's not any more wasting food than it is eating food that you actually don't want. That's right. kind of a waste too, you know, in its own yeah. way. So yeah, oh, changing. And that. So that's what this is all about. I think you just kind of showed that a lot of this is about, you said you unwound that thought. It's about being conscious of the thoughts that drive our behavior and then going, but is that thought serving me? Because for me, all this time, the thought was, I'm not good enough the way I am. I'll be better if I'm thinner. I'll be, and I'll tell you what happened when I got thinner with the macro counting. I was probably even more anxious about food than I had been before. I was, I felt good about my body, but it wasn't worth it because I was more nervous about ruining everything. If I were to like go to a birthday party or something, I'm going to, I'm going to loop back that, that back into the uh, wasting money slash wasting food where people who become very wealthy often find that they're more stressed out because now they have to protect the wealth that, which they didn't have before. It's a different kind of stress. Again, this just goes back to, we try to imagine what's going to make us happy in the future and we're almost never right. And then the only thing that is dumber is that we forget that we're almost never right. So, uh, so there's, there's that same sort of element. I mean, you're reminding me also, like for me, one of the things I lost, mm, I think I lost about 15 pounds 
during COVID because of one very interesting thing that I started doing, which is cooking more. And when mm. I was cooking more, I would only make like one dish. Now, I now the interesting thing is, it's not like I wasn't making a lot of food because I would make enough food for me and for my wife, Lena, and for leftovers that I would leave for her for lunch the next day. And so it was a bunch of food, but for whatever reason, I found myself just eating what I stopping when I was full versus if I went out to the Thai restaurant, which I almost never do to now do now, cause I can cook as well as the Thai restaurants that I would go to, I would get, you know, three things and would feel again, obligated to finish mm. a half of them or whatever Lena didn't finish. I mean, just it's, it was so interesting. So it was just really, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of the phrase listening to my body. Cause for me getting full is kind of funny. I have to stand up to tell if I'm full. I can't tell. Oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah. that's the thing. I, I think that's great. It's like, that's what works for you. Like you said before, not everything works for everybody. Well, and if, I'm, if I'm the one cooking, I'm usually having to stand up to go get another glass of water or do something that I don't do if I'm at a restaurant and I don't even do if I'm bringing home food so much. So it just, I was getting some signals that were there all the time, but I either didn't notice or overrode them or something. And there's one other part, um, you're going to get a kick out of this. The whole idea that you know get, you get thinner now, it can make you more anxious. I totally get that. And one of the things that's funny for me is that every morning as I'm rolling out of bed, every time I pinch around my waist to see if I somehow got magically thinner overnight. And um, the thinness for me, first of all, there's definitely a sort of, let's call it neurotic for lack of a better term. There's definitely a thing there about whatever my weight is and whether I have the body fat that I would like. And as a sprinter, you know, I can justify it by saying if I weighed five pounds less, I'd have a better strength to weight ratio. I'd be faster, blah, blah, blah. But the biggest thing backing up to what we talked about, like first thought and derivative thoughts is it used to upset me that I had this seeming obsession with checking to see if my, what my body fat was. And now I just don't care. It's just this goofy thing that I do. And for no reason, because it clearly isn't going to change from whenever I checked as I rolled into bed to whenever I got out of bed. It's just this weird obsessive thing that I do the way other people do obsessive things about whatever obsessive thing they do. And so now I just kind of find it entertaining. And it doesn't. That's really, awesome. Yeah. You you've like reframed it. And I, you know what's yeah. funny? Maybe it's not that weird because I've noticed. It's funny that you say that because like I have a bad habit or a habit. Let's call it a habit. I have a habit of sort of like patting my stomach when I get out of bed. Kind of same reason. Oh, and where I used to, when I used to, um, not like what I saw in the mirror or think that my pants were yeah. too tight. Where I used to be like, okay, that's it. Like I'm reeling things in. I'm I'm getting tough on myself. I am I'm salads all day. You know. Now I'm like. Okay. Number one, if the pants are too tight, that just, to me, all that means is I'm going to select a different pair of pants. If pants are chronically too tight, they go to goodwill, the end, end of story. And I am working on training myself and I'm getting better all the time. Instead of going down that negative thought spiral of I'm too big and this is what it means. I'm lazy. I'm disciplined. I'm blah, 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 blah. It's just like, oh, I, uh, maybe I, I, I'm bigger. I'm bigger. The end. No, the end. You, who cares? It doesn't say anything about who I am. Well, the part that you just said that I adore is the what does it mean? Because if because if we ask that question, the um, you know I'm I don't like the way I look. I don't like what. It, but the question is, what does that mean? Does it mean someone's not going to like me? I won't be able to do something. If we look at the what does it mean, and then investigate that and check, you know, wait, is that actually true? This imagined thing that I have, and and if we really look at the meaning part 
that's where the whole thing can fall apart. Cause that was the same thing that happened for me with the, you know, pinching to see it's like, what does this mean? And now it just doesn't have a meaning. And so I love that you highlighted that. And in a similar vein though, on a back to something you said, the, it's not about the food, it's about the thinking. You reminded me, I talked to, I was hanging out with a friend who talked about how he was having problems drinking. Mm. I said, um, well, let me ask you a question. What are you thinking right before you go for that drink? And he says, I'm thinking, I can't handle it. I said, well, what just happened that made you think that? He said, oh, I had this argument with my wife. And it's like, I can't stand this anymore. I can't handle it. I said, well, I've got to ask you this. I can't handle it thought. Is that true that you can't handle it? And he said, no, of course I can. I mean, I've been handling it for 20 years with this person. I said, oh, so when you're not aware that that thought is just completely not true, then the obvious next step is to get a drink to kind of quench that thought. And that was the last time he drank because the next thought I can't handle it came up. He called me. He said, you know, I just had this argument with my wife, this thought I can't handle it came up and I started laughing. Of course I can. And then I didn't have a drink to make it go away. And I've never thought about that with food so much because we don't think of food as having that same mm, effect as, you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever else we do. I think to some extent, we well, I mean, I, haven't you seen a million articles that are like how to stop your emotional eating as if emotional eating is the worst sin no, in the world? No, it makes like, you should I, never this do what, it. my argument. I would say emotional eating makes total sense. It's the logical conclusion if you believe the thought that leads to that thing. Yes. If you believe I can't handle this, I'm so stressed out. I deserve a cookie, blah, blah, blah. Here's the other thing I want to say too. um, And the book intuitive eating gets into this emotional eating. Isn't the worst thing in the world. Like (laughs) how can, how can you go from being a baby that either got comfort from being held like two things, right? Being held or having a bottle or a breast, right? But like that nourishment that you get as a baby that comforts you, like that comes out through your whole life. Now, where you get into trouble, I think if if eating the foods that make you feel good are um, the only way that you can cope, mm. that's obviously we need we need to have our deep breaths. We need to have maybe movement. We, there's a million ways to cope that aren't food. But if once in a while you turn to food, like we've demonized food as comfort yeah. food. And that's like not the worst thing if you have other coping tools and you just are consciously making a decision that you want the macaroni and cheese or whatever it is. Well, it's so it's so interesting you say that. It's something I've been thinking about doing a little podcast rant about is that because I've been on a bunch of podcasts lately where people, uh, entrepreneurial things, where people ask me what I do to de-stress. And I said, I, I don't. They said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're, the idea of you know doing something to de-stress is like doing something to beat up the feeling that I might be having. And I don't do that. Like if I'm exhausted from a long, difficult day, I'm just exhausted from a long, difficult day. I don't feel the urge to beat up that feeling. It'll pass. I'll go to sleep at night and I'll wake up the next morning and it'll be gone because I got some sleep. Or I'll, you know, watch TV with Lena and you know, we enjoy ourselves and it goes away. I'm not watching TV to make it go away. It's just, it's just an emotional state. It'll pass. And it backing up to what you keep referring to babies, you watch babies, they have an emotional <laughs> thing and then it changes. Babies are awesome. Yeah. Are yeah. They, well, they let themselves feel it. Babies aren't like, oh my God, I shouldn't be crying. I need to man the fuck up. You know, they're like, they're feel like you said, you, they feel it and it passes. And that you just said in like five sentences, what's taken me like thousands of dollars in therapy to figure <laughs> out is that like, when you push against your feelings and you try to, you know, deal with them, like, yes, you right. should deal with it, but you pushing them away only gives them more power. You got it. Like you said, let yourself feel the feeling. 
Well, and again, the thing that you said about finding the meaning is is really valid. The other version of that that I've been playing with, the thing about the whole de-stressing thing is, um, it has to go, oh, is realizing that the thing that caused my stress isn't the thing. It isn't the person who just quit or the container that stuck off the port of Long Beach. It's realizing that those things, it's the meaning, it's the expectation that I had perhaps not even knowingly, that was just the rug just got pulled out from underneath me because of this event that occurred. So it's the expectation that is that the dashed expectation, the changed expectation, the unplanned changed expectation, that's the upsetting part. Um, the fantasy of the future mm-hmm. really is the upsetting mm-hmm. part. And once I realize that, it's not like I the stress goes away or the thought about how I wish that expectation was not being changed goes away. It's just that it diminishes so much that I move on more quickly to what do I need to do next? And as it comes back up, it's just diminished because I recognize the fallacy, the ephemeralness of that expectation or the desire for that expectation still. And there's that same thing that I'm feeling around this whole like conversation about food. It's a similar thing. He thinks. Yeah. 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 No, I think, I think, oh, and I, I do want to go back to one thing you said. You said, we think we know what's going to make us happy, but most of the time we're wrong. Right. I do think that like most people like on their deathbeds, they won't say like, oh, I wish I'd been thinner. They'll say, I wish I spent more time with my family. You know, that's like a common, I think we do know that feeling connected definitely makes us feel better. Would you yeah. agree with that? Absolutely. But we rarely find ourselves having the urge to feel connected. We find ourselves having the urge to uh, whatever it is, make more money, get a different job, find a different partner, you know, oh, doing a something. I don't know. Speak for yourself. Ask my husband. I'm always trying to connect with him. And he's always like, oh, I oh, need a little space. <laughs> we have that, but, we, but actually the, the connecting thing is, a, I think that's a more immediate thing. I don't think we're projecting very, you know, super far. Actually, I take it back. I'm going to qualify this dramatically because I realized when I was about 39, how long have I been with Lena? 20 years. So yeah. So when I was about 39, I realized that for most of my certainly adult life and probably much of my teenage years, I had the idea that I'd be happy if I was with the right person and Mm. if I had the right partner. And for some reason, when I was about 39, that thought came up and I couldn't find myself believing it. I couldn't make myself Mm -hmm. imagine that while I'm, and this is happening while I'm spending time with Lena, who was at that time, a friend of mine who for four years prior to, I'd been trying to convince her that we should be a couple. And she had no interest in that at all. And so, and it just hit me. It's like, I have this idea that I'll be happy when I'm in this imagined future with the right person. And in specific with Lena, if, you know, we'd be a good couple, which was kind of a funny thing to think I realized, because if you ask my exes, I don't do couple very well, according to them. And, and so I had no evidence that Lena and I would be a good couple and I had no evidence for, I'd be happy in this imagined future. And then I just couldn't make myself believe that anymore. And then this is going to relate to food. Then the craving stopped. I just found myself not craving this thing and looking for it and checking to see if I was getting it. And, and ironically, <laughs> and in that moment, I then said to her, um, when I was believing this idea that we'd be a good couple and I'd be happy in the imagined future if we were a couple, here's the obnoxious things that I've been doing in the last four years to try to convince you I was right. And I just gave her a list of the humiliating ways that I was not very subtly, but thinking I was being subtle, the way I behaved to try to get her on board with this project. And if you ask her, that was a big chunk of what gave her the space to then see if she actually 
wanted to be with me or the way she said it is I spent that weekend looking for all the reasons or looking at all the reasons why I didn't think we should be together. And then I ran out of reasons and I realized that everything I wanted in a relationship I could have with you. And so, but I think that I, my getting out of the way, not deliberately, just because I could no longer believe the thing that was no, energetically things shifted. You weren't yeah. so set. On, yeah. And she felt it like, yeah. that's like a scary thing to feel. I would think if if I felt like my husband thought he couldn't be happy without me, that's like oh, a God. lot of freaking pressure. And I think the reason I met him when I did, to your point, is that I was extremely happy in my own life when I met him. And up to that point, and it wasn't like I didn't want to meet somebody. I definitely did. I was definitely thinking like time's ticking. Like I, I got to do this thing. I mean, I was 29 when I met him, but all my friends were like coupled up and having babies by then pretty much. But I was like... Uh, but but I was also like at this place in my life where I was like doing my thing and living my life and, you know, get out of my way. Here I come was kind of my vibe. And like, I think that <laughs> I think that that's why it happened when it happened. And I have zero regrets. And I will also say, even though I do think he's the perfect partner for me, I can't say I'm always happy, but it's not because of him. It's because that's life. Well, and you just said it. Um, people have asked Lena and I why we think we have a great relationship. And I say, it's because we're very clear that when we're upset, quote, at the other person, it's not because of the other person. And we don't, um, we kind of Try, well, we're usually pretty good at only coming back together when that's very clear or when we're both very clear that we don't know what the solution for getting out of whatever mental state we're in is. And one of us is willing to walk up and go, yeah, I'm stuck and I, I wish I weren't and I don't know what to do next. And mm-hmm. uh, but we're but we um, yeah, we're, we don't pretend that the other person is the one who made us something upset. Or- yeah. That's very self-aware. Have you guys read the um, the Untethered Soul by I think it's by Michael Singer? No, I have no idea what that is. You sound like you don't even need to read it, but like <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. It's for it's really about relationships, but it definitely pertains to. It's about what is it even about? It's it's spiritual. Let's just say that it's good. Okay, all right. I'll make a note note to self when I'm reading again. When I have time to read again. We have a stack of magazines that's too high sitting on our kitchen table because we don't have time for that lately. So back to food. Um, yeah, back to food. <laughs> um, uh, so um, we got pretty far along the in your story of the transition into kind of getting this. And yeah. is there anything else you want to add to that before I ask you to jump back to, you know, from the people that you've worked with and for anyone who's listening, you know, what might they need to consider or realize they might experience if they're going to start experimenting with this, I mean, really life-changing way of behaving? That's a great question. I would say, first off, really, really divorce yourself from the idea that like this could sneakily help you lose weight. You Mm. can't, it will not work or it won't work for you. It just, it won't do what it needs to do if you don't. How how can you do that? I mean, again, this is sort of like, you know, don't tell a kid not to do something. How can you make yourself not do the thing that your brain is doing. And when you say not do the thing, do you mean don't think the thought of I want to lose weight or don't eat the food of don't think the thought the food thing? Oh, don't think the thought. Oh, it depends on the person. There's going to be there. Like we were talking about before, there's no one size all fits one size fits all approach. But like I would start with like if you're on social media, start following accounts that are, you know, body neutral, health at every size. Look for the hashtag like intuitive eating. You'll find Mm -hmm. all these influencers that have these great ideas and like just surrounding yourself with that and unfollowing anything that is like a before and after picture, that's helpful to get you in the mind frame of I don't have to keep thinking this way. 
I recommend, if you were a reader, I'm a big reader. I recommend reading the intuitive eating book. I recommend the fuck it diet. There's a whole bunch out there. Uh, the body is not an apology is a good one. Um, there's so many podcasts about there exploring the stuff like, um, food psych with Christy Harrison is really great. Her book anti-diet. If you're a sciencey person, mm-hmm. like it's all about debunking all the quote unquote science that supposedly shows that, um, eating certain diets is good for you, or that you even can really lose weight in a sustainable way. If you're an average person, anti-diet's a great book. How else? I, I think you have to, it has, it also has maybe working with a therapist to undo some of the shit you've probably been told by society and by your parents. Like some people have really complicated relationships with their parents and around them, you know, there's just so, so it just depends on the person, but however you get there, you need to be ready to go. I love myself as I am. Even if I gain weight, I can still love myself. Mm. I think that's probably step one, but I also think sometimes. Wait, I'm going to, I'm going to pause on that one. Yeah. Cause look, I'm not like, you know, an overweight guy. I would like to, again, be a little leaner for various reasons, but, and I've never been like significantly overweight. And just saying that the, I'm willing to love myself, even if I gain weight, I got a hot flash from that. It's like a terrifying thought. And and I don't know why it's not something that I actually am literally worried about. And yet just tossing that idea into my brain made me rapidly anxious, which I find fascinating. Yeah. Well, we live in a really fat phobic culture. And I point it out to my kids all the time. Like I'm big on like media literacy. So like when we read Harry Potter and you know, I don't know if you've read it. I mean, you notice the Dursleys, they're never just described as like larger or anything. They're always like the bad, evil, overweight, like gluttons. And I point out to them and I'm like, no, I mean, J. Cray Rowling, she's not my favorite person, but she's as an artist, I respect her. And I'm like, but I tell my kids, I'm like, what do you, what do you see here with these? The only fat people in the book also happen to be like the villains. Let's look at that. You know, I notice, um, point out to them when you know you always see the fat friend as like the sidekick in a movie. We don't get to see a lot of fat heroes in movies, you know. Um, so just noticing how much as a culture, and and I want to also say a caveat. I am speaking largely for myself, like as somebody who hasn't. I've nobody's ever like given me side eye because I got on the plane next to them because I was too big. You know, I never worried will right. I not get this job because I'm. You know, that is a different thing, and I think I just have so much compassion for people who live in bodies that are scrutinized. That's and yeah. I, I think it's shitty, but I think we all need to be aware of this because we are fat phobic, whether we mean to be or not. We live in this society that has told us that fat means all these things. Let me give you the follow up for anyone who's yeah, yeah. watching you. May have noticed that I'm kind of wiggling in my chair, which is the thing that I tend to do when I notice that I have some thought that I wasn't aware of that feels kind of sticky. And so now the whole idea of I'm I'm willing to, I don't even like the phrase love myself. I'm willing to be okay. I'm willing to not even care if I, I'm willing for it not even to be a thought if I eat and gain weight is now starting to feel really exciting. It's like I've gone from holding my breath to kind of breathing and feeling warm in the back of my neck. And like, this is really interesting because the thought that goes with it is not that I'm going to eat a whole ton and get fat. It's like quite paradoxically, I feel this sort of sense of freedom. Like I have permission, whatever that means to do something that I thought was taboo that I didn't even know was taboo. And it doesn't make me feel like I need to do it. It just makes me feel like I don't need to be afraid of it. That's fucking amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> I think that is so cool. That is one of the things that I did early in my like intuitive eating journey was, and as the book tells you to do this is like, experiment with eating the foods that you find scary. And don't worry if you do eat 
like a lot of them, because if you have been restricting for a long time, that's totally natural. And you might quote unquote, overdo it on the things that you previously deprived yourself of. But if you do, you do eventually, because you can't undo what you've done for years in like a day or a week or a month for different people. It will take a different amount of time, but yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So I don't even remember the question, but yeah, I think that is so cool that you feel the permission. Well, yeah, the question was, you know, for people who might, who experiment with this and what your experience has been working with people, what might they go through? And by the way, what might they go through? By the way, I can't even tell you why I can't even say that I'm feeling that the next phase of what I'm going through is sad per se. It's more, there's like a kind of bittersweet melancholy something. It's a weird feeling either. Like I've given up something familiar or that I'm realizing how much stress I've been putting myself under for no reason. And so that's sort of, you know, that's a little sad making, if you will, uh, as if I could have done it different. So it's the way it is. But um, this is, I mean, this is really, I'm having a really good time watching this thing unwind. Cool. I think people can expect to feel a little bit adrift when you yeah. spent your whole life going, I should eat this or I should eat that. It can feel really unmooring, I guess is the word to go, oh my God, anything I want. Like, I don't even know what I want. Mm. I really don't know. I'm so not used to asking myself the question, what would taste good right now? Mm. Um, So I think being patient with yourself would be, I would advise that, but be prepared that it might feel really freaking weird. It might feel really like, who even am I if I eat a meal without wondering how many calories it has or how much, you know, it's it's not going to be a straight line. Yes. I think you should expect, I mean, I've been doing this for a few years and some, I have to sort of like give myself a pep talk before I do things that used to be, that used to often be situations where I would ignore my hunger cues and eat too much. Like Mm. for example, um, camping trips, camping trips always kind of felt like a free for all because food would just be out on the picnic table or we'd be eating s'mores after dinner. Even if you you were full, I was just like, if I was full, I would eat the s'mores, stuff like that. Or things like, I mean, I used to restrict to some extent all week and then have a couple of drinks on a Friday night, feel tipsy and just go in the pantry and just eat whatever. And my husband would like in the kindest, most gentle way possible be like, how do you think you might feel about this decision in the morning? And I'd be like, I'd feel fucking great. Get out of my way. But then inevitably I did not feel fucking great. (laughs) Like I don't do that anymore. So I think you can also prepare for like having more fun with food, like prepare for the joy of like going to a restaurant and going, I can order whatever the hell I want and it will be okay. That's amazing. And you have the opportunity to just get excited about every social event that's going to have food, which is every social event, um, without the cloud of the stress. And and again, like I sometimes do stress. It's not like it was like snap your fingers. Everything's great, but I have ways of coping with that. Now I'm able to slow down and do the thing you described to do the thing where I have the like stressful thought. And then I go, wait a minute, where's this thought coming from? Does this make sense? Is this serving me? Let's pick a new thought. And that helps me a lot. I love it. (sighs) I'm still (laughs) reeling from this. This has been really super fun. Um, I'm so glad. You know, one of the things that I do, and I'm partly rethinking it, and I'm partly saying it's totally fine as it is, that if I am planning on, if I know I'm going to be going to an event where I'm going to eat an entire chocolate cake, which again, I don't actually do that. But I mean, like if I'm going to a a potluck with friends where I know there's going to be a lot of things to eat and I'm going to want to eat a lot of them, I will not infrequently think, okay, during the day, I'm going to get a little higher protein, a little lower cal, just so that I can. And I don't feel like I'm being restrictive when I do that. I feel like I'm 
it's almost like preparing for a race. It's like, I'm just doing the thing to, you know, cause I know that I've got this thing coming up. So I'm going to do this thing to prep for it. And I found a way of doing that where I don't feel deprived. I'm just, it really does feel, I mean, I actually kind of get excited. Like I'm just have nothing but meals with protein and very little else for breakfast and lunch. Cause I'm going to eat an entire 16 inch pizza for dinner. And I'm going to love every bite of that. And I think like the energy that you're describing, the way I see you showing up like over the Zoom and like the way you're describing it, to me, that sounds like the energy behind your decision is sort of based on actually listening to your body in a, in a different way. It's not motivated by, will I um, gain or lose weight from these decisions? It's motivated by, I really want to enjoy the potluck to the fullest extent possible. And to me, that's like joy-driven rather than fear-driven. Mm. And that's how I've been like trying to reframe my, we didn't even get to, into my relationship with exercise, but in a nutshell, some of my endurance stuff was always about, oh my God, I'll have license to eat whatever I want. And now that things are opening back up and I'm thinking about events, I'm like, ooh, I don't want to like pick a race to train for because I'm secretly hoping I'll lose weight. And I'm like, but you know what? There's a million reasons to do a race besides losing weight. Where, where is the drive coming from? Is yeah. it fear that if I don't do an event, I'll gain weight, be lazy, be undisciplined, lose all my fitness? Is it fear or is it joy? Is it like, I want to experience the camaraderie. I want to train. I want to... So it's what there's that. Well, I, would, I would bet that it's not, you know, that that scale is not 100% in one direction or another, that even if you find that there's, that it's motivated by something, let's call it joy, that there's still that, eh, you know, by the way, I mean, maybe I'll lose, maybe I'll lose a little weight, which it's not as big of a deal. It's like, that's not the driver, but it's not like you're making that thought disappear. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Maybe that'll happen. If it doesn't, no big deal. That's my hunch. Yes. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Because I think pretending a thought didn't happen. is kind of like pretending a feeling isn't there. You know, it's like, yeah, I had the thought. Fine. Yeah. And if it is, you know, if it does, it doesn't. If it does, it's really funny. Um, if you want to see a bunch of um, people who are probably 10 to 20 pounds overweight, go to a master's uh, track race and find the sprinters, the guys like me, for whatever reason, um, way back when I knew someone who was part of the early genetic research on decoding the human genome. And it turns out that the genes that code for fast twitch muscle fibers and for sprinting also code for gaining abdominal fat. So, um, so yeah, it's, and again, it's, a, so it's a genetic thing that sprinters genetically tend to put on abdominal fat. And so you see these guys, if there's a couple of guys who are the fastest guys in the world, who've got these pot bellies and they show up at a race and you're going, what the hell is he doing here? Or she it happens for women too. And then they crush everybody else. Like what? Um, and so there's this misunderstanding about how bodies work and what they do. Yes. Fitness is not a specific look. It's yeah. just not, I just had somebody on my podcast who she's in a large body. She's a badass. This woman has swam across Loch Ness. She has swam around the Island of Mentac. She has swam from San Diego to Catalina. There is no swim she hasn't done. She's a beast. And I think if you saw her on the street, you might say she doesn't look fit. Well, what do you know? You don't know. Nobody I, I, knows. I it's a, not a look. I have a friend who had done multiple, multiple triathlons and was basically uh, shaped like a beach ball. And you would never in a million years guess that that's what this person could do. And that's, I mean, just like cranked them out. It's just yeah. Like, and that's because we're a fat phobic culture. I actually went to a stroke and stride, which is a boulder for people listening, not in boulder. So it's like a swim, run, casual thing. I went with a friend. This was like pre-COVID. And my friend was blatantly like, look at all these fat people. They how She made a comment that was really rude. Like it was sort of like, they can do this. And I was like, would you stop? I We're good enough friends that I was kind of like... Uh, that's not cool. Like what you're saying is blatantly fat phobic and they, you have no idea looking at anybody here, how fit they are. So just stop. Yeah. And she stopped. <laughs> I mean, I, I, for the, for the fun of it though, I do want to put a bit of a pin in something, which is 
it's one thing about being about fat phobic or criticizing someone else or even criticizing yourself, but there are some people who use those ideas as an excuse to um, do things that are really unhealthy for them to, I mean, to be eating 10,000 calories a day or whatever it is. I mean, to do something where it's an excuse not to look at what's going on, not suggesting that it's even going to change anything, but there are, I mean, I've, (laughs) I'm just having memories of watching uh, this is going to sound like a weird one. Um, talking with a guy that I knew about drinking alcohol, and I had just read a statistic that eighty percent of the alcohol is consumed by twenty percent of the people. And he said, um, and he said, yeah, like me. I said, what? He goes, oh, haven't you noticed? This is when I was doing comedy for a living. He said, I'll have three beers before I get on stage. I'll have three beers while I'm on stage. I'll have three beers when I get off stage. I've just had nine beers in an evening. Oh yeah, I'll probably have one or two with lunch. And it was undeniably hurting his health. And he was using, he was using the statistic to um, not have to inquire about why he was drinking 10 to 12 beers a day and what it was doing to him. And later he eventually did and realized, yeah, there was a lot of stuff I didn't want to deal with. So I just stayed drunk all the time. Um, I yeah. was oh yeah. That's, that's a drinking problem. That's an, that's a disease. Yeah. I mean, I would say for somebody like that, whether it's food or booze or whatever it is, it's, it's not the statistics fault, right? That's like a handy cover, yeah. like, you know, but it's like, yeah, you, if, if you're doing things in an unhealthy way, whatever they are, you, you need to look into it. I guess or, I'm, I'm saying, and you'll and do I'm, it when you're ready. Yeah. And I'm not landing on this, but I'm, but I want to, yeah. I want to kind of, I'm, it's something I'm really just kind of thinking about or curious about is the gap between <clears throat> um, becoming self-accepting versus trying to use the idea of self-acceptance to not look at what's actually leading to certain behaviors. I see what you're saying. I don't think it's true. I think if you have an addiction, you're you're probably not fully accepting some part of yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't think that addiction and self-acceptance can really go together. I feel like addiction is a way of not accepting what's happening, like not feeling the feelings or not experiencing it's sort of like being present. Yeah. If we, if we go back to what we said before, it's sort of like you could have the thought of, Oh, I can't handle this. And I'm going to have some food that I'm going to like, that's going to quash that thought. And then after that complaining that someone is complaining to you about being overweight, it's like, well, no, um, hold on. You, you sort of missed a step. It's sort of like, this is going to sound really weird. I'm impossible to insult. And the reason I'm impossible to insult is you could say something seemingly negative about me and either it's factually inaccurate. And so it has nowhere to land or it, it, it'll, it'll be something where, you know, someone could say, oh, you know, you're arrogant. And I'm going to say, oh, boy, you don't even know the half of it. You should hear the stuff that goes through my head that I don't say. And, and sometimes things come out of my mouth that sound like they have an arrogant tone, but that's not what I'm actually thinking or feeling. And I don't know why it comes out with that tone. And I wish that it didn't. And if you have any suggestions, I'm totally open. So any, the worst thing anyone's ever been able to say to me, I usually agree with them. And usually Mm -hmm. it's worse in my own mind than the way they're perceiving it. And the only thing that I'd be upset about is that I don't like it. And I was hoping nobody would notice. (laughs) And so, and then that's an opportunity for self-awareness. Correct. Um, And so there's a similar thing where if someone makes a comment about your weight, your size, and there's this overt reaction. It's possibly like the overt reaction I used to have 20 plus years ago. If somebody would say you're arrogant or say some some uh, um, insulting, seemingly insulting thing, if I would get defensive about it, then there's definitely a there there. There's definitely something that I've got to take a gander at. Um, and if I can just meet it with the truth, then not a big deal. So that, that's what I'm talking about is the difference yes. between 
hearing it and meeting it with the truth versus hearing it and being defensive so that one doesn't have to look at whatever truth that you know it might well, be. What, to, it's funny that you bring this up. I feel like the universe sent me this shitty situation to see how I would react for many years of my life. People would be like, are you pregnant when I wasn't? And it would rip me apart. Like I just happened to store fat in my stomach. It just, yeah. it's a fact. It's yeah. been it's how I've been, it's how I'm built. I would go home from work and cry. I mean, they would say the meanest things or I would be like, no, they would get really embarrassed and, and not continue the conversation. And yeah. be like, the least you could say is sorry. But anyway, there's no real way to dig yourself out of that one when you ask a woman if she's well like I had, so, a, friend, this I had a friend who started would, sorry I had a friend who started an e-commerce yeah. business 20 years ago uh for pregnant women and he would walk up to women and say hey I've got a website you might be interested in and they'd go uh I'm not pregnant and he he basically learned that until if you don't see the baby's crowning uh you don't ask if a woman is pregnant it's probably a good rule yeah and not to mention you don't know if she just had a miscarriage or a million thing you know but yeah. for me it would definitely hit the nerve of i look fat right and i remember calling my mom in my 20s and i'd be like somebody at work asked if i was you know when i was due and she goes you already told me this story and i'd be like no it happened again it's <laughs> happening and then i was at a potluck this is pre covid um and somebody asked me, and this is since I've discovered intuitive eating and decided that I'm just going to be okay with whatever my body looks like. So this woman says to me, um, are you, are you expecting? And I just said, no. And that was sort of it. I did walk away because I felt like up to that point, she had been a little bit socially awkward. And at that point I was just sort of like, that was rude, but they didn't cry about it. I wasn't upset about it. I was just like, you made a stupid comment. I don't want to hang out with you, but I wasn't willing to be like, this says anything about me. And yeah, maybe I do. Maybe I do look pregnant. Who fucking cares? Well, the thing, like, would, the thing that would have been so funny is I, I, I think you missed a great opportunity to, to tell the whole truth. So here you, I'll be you in that case. So ask me if I'm expecting. Steven, <laughs> congratulations. Are you expecting? Oh, I'm not. And I bet you feel really embarrassed right now. <laughs> This person, actually, I don't know if she had the emotional intelligence to feel embarrassed, uh -oh. but I just was like, you know what? I'm kind of glad this happened because this showed me how much I can be neutral about somebody essentially telling me that my stomach is fat. Well, well it is. That's okay. Well, no, no, no. It's actually even easier. Someone just asked you a yes or no question. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Now, yeah. again, you could have had a lot of fun with it. You could have said, no, I don't think, oh my God, I think I'm right, right now. So I, mean, I know, right. Well, that's next level that I'll be like, oh my God, my IUD stopped working. I can go to the doctor. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, that's next, next level. But like, <laughs> yeah, you didn't see me on that show where I didn't know I was pregnant and then I one day had a baby. I mean, there's so much you, it's like, I, it is next level, but I think once you get past, once you get to the, it's yeah. just, a, you know, it's just someone asking a question and it doesn't have the meaning. Oh my God, you could have so much fun with that. I can't even imagine. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So we've gone like over our time. I have a little time yeah, what your time is yeah. like, but I'm having fun with you. This is great. You no, know, We're having a conversation. The conversations take the time they take, but no, we, I think we can sort of kind of bring this in for a landing. Is there anything else that you yeah. would want to let people know who want to explore this about again, the, the path or the, the something, just anything that we left out about um, what this might be like? Yeah. That was a, I want to add. I would say I would say stay curious. Mm. Stay curious and this wouldn't necessarily always be an easy path. Yeah. But if you can change your thinking and you can change your behavior, a whole world of joy will open up to you. Food can be so much more fun, parties will be so much more fun. You can like 
be present in your mind and your body without being preoccupied by food. And I will say that my whole life changed after like my whole career opened up. I'm making so much more money. I'm getting clients. I want, I'm, I got the bylines I want. I'm like, I really love my work in a different way than I did before. I'm just, I'm, it's so much easier for me to make decisions about what I want because I'm sort of grounded in my body in a different way. And I think your body has a lot of answers for all kinds of questions, not just food. Well, and so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of maybe even hypersimplify this. It's, it seems like what you're describing is as you started, how do I want to describe this? As you started, oh man, it was in my head and then it fell right out. I'll give it a whirl, a whirl awkwardly. As you started um, making decisions about your eating from a different perspective, it seemed to allow you to do that same kind of thing in other domains of your life, other areas yeah. of your life. Yeah. hundred percent. That's super cool. I yeah. love it. Um, Pam, this has been such a treat. Will you remember me though? <laughs> now. Oh, man. That's going to be the true test. Can we, tell, can we talk about how you don't remember me? Yes. Yes, we can. <laughs> So what I want to tell this story just before we close out. So I wish I'll start with the random email. I got an email that was meant for a different Pam Moore that said, will you come on our marketing podcast? And I'm like, I don't know shit about marketing. And I'm like, I know they mean this other Pam Moore. So I said, uh, Hey, look, I think you got me confused with the other Pam Moore, but if you want to talk about, you know, body image, endurance, sports, midlife, career changes, all this stuff, like these are things I can talk about. And they got back to me and said, you know what? Not a fit for our podcast, but we might know somebody. Can we share this? I said, go ahead. Uh, like a few days later, Stephen's podcast producer gets in touch with me and says, hey, will you come on the movement movement with Stephen Sashin? He's done it. I'm like, you don't have to tell me who he is. I came to Stephen's kitchen in North Boulder, right? Were you living in North Boulder? Yep. Around 2009, my husband was having this like chronic foot pain. And I was like, I know what you need, honey. You need barefoot shoes. And I'm just the person to get you the barefoot shoe. And I, I I don't know how I came across you and you might've done a talk at the Boulder tri club. That might've been uh, what it was. I think. Yeah, yeah I, I probably did. I mean, I did a lot of stuff with yeah, that, but zero shoes was like a small operation. So Steven was like, come over, I'll give you what you need. And then I took home this make your own shoe kit that my husband like made his own customized shoe based anyways. But yeah, we, we hung out anyways. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm like reconnecting with Steven Sashin through this like random email, but he doesn't remember me. So I'm hoping <laughs> When we cross paths again, you'll know who I am. Um, well, I'll only recognize you if you have that background behind you. So, um, so yes, in the same way uh, that you can, can arguably now respond to someone who says, are you pregnant with uh, yes or no? I can say, yeah, I have a horrible memory for faces. And I wish I sometimes say to people, actually, I very deliberately try to not say to people that I'm embarrassed that I don't remember meeting you or don't, because it's just the way my brain works, or in this case, doesn't work. And by saying embarrassed, that's not accurate. It's, um, I have a horrible memory for faces and I wish I didn't. And um, so, no, I don't. Um, but let's you know start now. And so, yes, I hope and expect that I will. And if not, you know, you can just say, "Hey, moron," <laughs> and I will respond to that. <laughs> and, That's, great. Uh, I, I, That's great. I so look forward to it. Um, and um, I, yeah, this is this has just been a blast. And I'd say it'll be much harder for me to not remember us having this conversation. But I had a I had a conversation with someone I think maybe two weeks ago on the podcast, and then they reached out to me, and I had to like rack my brain to remember who the hell they were. It's I do think it's some wacky neurological something, and again, I wish I could say I'm embarrassed by it. I just know that it's awkward, and so I just acknowledge that and hope that people That's will forgive me. 
I think that's a great way of approaching it. It's like very conscious. It's kind of like being colorblind. It's like, you know, you can't get mad at someone being colorblind, but we, but it's funny thing. We actually think that we, that our memories are good, even though they're often way out of whack. I mentioned to you before we did this, when I went to my 30th high school reunion, there were so many people there who I had zero memory of, who I know were like really good friends of mine 30 years earlier, and they were just gone from my brain. And some of it was actually, some people weren't gone. What I discovered at my 30th was that people thought I was crazy in high school, which I didn't know. I didn't know that I was, or I didn't know that they thought that. So, but I found that out when I just talked to them 30 years later. And I said, That's I walked awesome. up with this one woman, I said, um, I haven't, you know, we knew each other, but we weren't really friendly. But if someone had asked me about you, like up until this moment, I would have described you as being five, nine. And, you know, I went on, she goes, uh, I'm five feet tall. I said, I know, isn't that wild how memory is just like so malleable and out of whack? And she looks at me like I'm insane. She goes, What? And I went, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, she thought I was kind of crazy. And there was, there was, you know, one after another of those where I was just so fascinated by what brains do after 30 years. And apparently that fascination was not shared by other people. And in fact, it was just confirming things they believed about me or still mm. seemed to think about me from 30 years ago that were completely different than what I imagined, which I found just as fascinating. So I love it. What are you, you going to do? What are you going to do? All right. Well, Pam, thank you. Thank you so much. If people want to get in touch with you and find out more about everything we've talked about or more about what you're doing, how can they do that? Oh, thank you for asking, Stephen. You can go to pam-more. That's M-O-O-R-E.com. That's my website. Everything that you might want to know is that's probably the easiest place to find it. But if you're like on social media, I'm at pammore 303 on Instagram. On Twitter, I'm at Pam Moore Writer. And you can search for, you can find the Real Fit Podcast right from my website where you can find it on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. The Real Fit Podcast features like conversations with some really, really cool women. And once in a while, I have a quick episode that's just me talking about something that's hopefully helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, awesome. Well, for everyone else, thank you for joining us. Um, I hope you had as much fun as Pam and I seem to have. <laughs> and uh, more importantly, go to jointhemovementmovement.com to find previous episodes, all the different ways you can interact with us. Again, how you can share and spread the word about the movement, movement, helping people rediscover that natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice, the way we think of natural food. And now we're thinking of food in a whole different way. Natural is just, you know, whatever you seem to think is right for you at that time. And if you have any questions or comments or anyone you think should be on the show, you want to pass that info on, drop me an email, send it to move at jointhemovementmovement.com. If you want to try the most comfortable, lightest, uh, coolest shoes that let your feet do what's natural, that's at zeroshoes.com, X-E-R-O shoes.com. Although if your computer makes you type in Z-E-R-O, guess what? That'll get to us too. And most importantly, go out, have fun and live life feet first. <laughs>